That was the introduction song to Encounters of the Third Alternative, which was the initial anarchist analysis of local, national and international events that uh, Joe began broadcasting with in 77. And we'll cross to the live broadcast now. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community radio satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. My name is Joseph Tosca. I'm hosting today's Anarchist World This Week. This is a live broadcast 
from Melbourne's Unitarian Church, which has been here since 1852. Great juxtaposition, isn't it? An anarchist in a church. Well, the Unitarian Church is my type of church. They serve humanity and they seek the truth. A little bit like anarchists. The word anarchos is from the Greek, without rulers. Not without rules, but without rulers. And the key fundamental question that all anarchists have to answer, even if they don't want to answer, is how do you create the institutional structures for a functioning society without rulers? And there are two things that all anarchists agree on. One, hierarchy. That it's hierarchy which gives individuals the power to exercise power over other people. And two, it's inequalities in wealth which give people power. So the anarchist struggle revolves around two things, devolving power and sharing wealth. Very simple concepts, concepts that humanity has been striving for since the beginning of time. And if you look at all periods of history that we have records of and those we don't have even records of, you know, verbal records of, you can actually see that strain of thought has always been part of the human struggle, that, that train of thought to ensure that each and every one of us has the capacity to develop ourselves to our fullest potential in a secure, safe environment. Now, obviously, anarchism as a social, political movement is something which kind of crawled out of 19th century Europe, but it doesn't mean it wasn't there before. It's been there a long, long time. So, on this 40th anniversary uh, program, I'm just going to do a little bit of reflection and a little bit of forward thinking because it's always been my goal over the last 40 years to acknowledge the past because I believe the past gives us many hints and directions on how we can change the future. And if we don't acknowledge the past, we have no understanding of the social and political uh, community, cultural interactions which occur in society around us. And it's very easy as an activist to put yourself in a little corner, think you have all the answers and just concentrate on one or two things. The, the purpose of the anarchist world this week over the, over, over the last 40 years has been to try to look at all the issues that are occurring in society as they occur. Because for far too long, too many anarchists have been burdened by the certainties of ideology and uh, precedent. And what I mean by that is you do things the same way, irrespective of how many lumps you have in your head by smashing into the same brick wall over and over again. And I make no apologies for trying to drag anarchism into the 21st century because this is a pivotal century in human history. And it's a pivotal century because for the first time in human history we have the capacity to destroy each and every human being on this planet. We have that capacity. Not only do we have that capacity but now the planet 
is telling us that the way we have lived is poisonous for it. And I think one of my greatest, uh, and I haven't had many great moments, but, <laughs> but one of my greatest moments came to me in a flash, and I'm sure it's somebody else's greatest moment because nobody has an original thought. You've got to remember that. Nobody ever has an original thought. Somebody has thought of it beforehand. It was the climate change debate. And I wanted to simplify it in, in a way that every human being could understand. You know, a four-year-old and a 94-year-old. And I call it the Joe Toscano uh, greenhouse uh, or climate change uh, analogy. Now, I'm sure those of you who are here when you were little kiddies all had mice and you liked to watch your mice fornicate, right? And you'd see them fornicate and then there'd be more mice and more mice. So if you buy a dome, think of the earth as a dome because people don't seem to understand is you've got this solid rock and around this solid rock you've got this stratosphere and that's your dome. We, we are alone as far as our capacity to, you know, ask for help, you know, from intergalactic areas. But we are alone. So you've got this dome. That's your stratosphere. And in this, inside this dome, we have an environment, a beautiful environment. If you're Christian, the Garden of Eden. I want to do a few Christian analogies as I'm broadcasting from the Unitarian Church today. So the Garden of Eden... And in this Garden of Eden, we put human beings. And as human beings tend to do is they tend to replicate. And there's more and more of us. So we've got the problem. We've got limited resources. It doesn't matter how smart we are and how scientific we are, we will run out of options sooner or later. We have limited resources. We have a massively increasing population of over 7 billion. So limited resources increasing population and on top of that we have an economic system which over the past 40 years which dominates the planet which is based on the concept of creating ever-increasing profits for major shareholders irrespective of the human, social, cultural, national cost to humanity and we are in this dome and nothing's going to change this. The Martians are not going to come around and say, we're going to save you. I think they'd just eat us if they were around. So we are in this dome. And I don't understand why so many people on this planet have so much difficulty understanding the concept of climate change and the impact it will have, not on us ageing radical activists, but on the younger people, our children and grandchildren. Tremendous impact. Tremendous impact. But see, there are many issues. Now, over the last 40 years, the program started off as encounters with the fertile turf. Because in those days, we had three social systems. We had capitalism, communism and anarchism. We described ourselves as the fertile turf. And we used to use uh, John Lennon's Imagine as our introductory song. And Encounters with the Fertile Alternative went on until about 1989 when we changed the name to Anarchist World This Week. With the collapse of the Berlin Wall, we actually saw what authoritarian communism or authoritarian socialism delivers. 
At the end of the day, it delivers nothing. And historically, people say, why don't you get on with the socialists and the anarchists? So the socialists and the communists. Well, historically, more anarchists have died at the hands of communist regimes than any other regime. And the communists have always understood that having a non-authoritarian, voluntary program that promotes egalitarianism is a direct challenge to their authority because we are about abolishing the state. They want to use the state apparatus to impose their will on people. So there's this diametric opposing forces, although they say that eventually the state will wither away, which I don't think will happen. So during these 40 years, I'd like to acknowledge a number of people. I'd like to, first of all, acknowledge my late wife and partner, Ellen Jose, who in nine, when we came to Melbourne in 1976, she was working at 3CR, which had been just formed a few months beforehand, and she was doing one of the first overnight music programs, which 3CR continues to do, um, um, with Fear Swift, and Fear Swift died about 20 years ago. And in early 1977, when we came down to Melbourne, we were particularly unhappy with the type of uh, movement we came across here in terms of radical activism. We formed a new group called Libertarian Workers. So in 1977, we were encouraged by Ellen and Fear to apply to FreeCR to be affiliated. So we did our paperwork, which wasn't much in those days, and we uh, attempted to affiliate, but our affiliation was blocked because at that particular point in time, uh, Maoists were in control of the FreeCR executive. And it's in, the, it's in the notes, it was shown to me a few years ago when people were doing the historical research, we were blocked because anarchists are CIA agents. So they knew their enemy. A few months later, we were asked to reapply for uh, uh, affiliation uh, because um, obviously the power structure had changed within 3CR and we were accepted into 3CR and we have been broadcasting ever since. I'd also like to acknowledge two other people, uh, Steve Roper, who broadcast with me. He's come down from Darwin for this live broadcast today. He's actually come for another reason, but I'll pretend he's come down from, <laughs> from Darwin for the broadcast. And uh, Michael Smith, who uh, kind of took over. He was our personal ASIO agent who actually broadcast with me for many uh, years. And Michael's here in a technical capacity, uh, making sure this broadcast goes through the community radio network, which... Uh, I'd also like to thank Juliet Fox for, because when we first applied to uh, join the uh, community radio, or have the Anarchist Will this week, about 15 years ago, broadcast national the community radio network, I think it raised a few feathers there. But Juliet, in her uh, great style, found a loophole, which, is, which allowed us to become part of the community radio network and for Anarchist Will this week to be broadcast live across the country. So I'd also like to thank all those listeners in every state of this country and territory that have the opportunity to listen to the anarchist world this week. So, is this just a, you know, a vehicle for me, right? Is this my vehicle? Is this a vehicle to give me, you know, a bit of a glow? Here I am in a minister's pulpit in the Unitarian Church. I'm actually enjoying the wet dream of mine to be a minister, see? And... Uh, you know, so is it or isn't it? 
Well, Encounters with the Fertile Turn of the Anarchist World this week has always been about trying to activate people. It's a terrible word, I know. But trying to get people to become involved and change things. Because ultimately, we, listeners to this program and you here for the live broadcast, we are the people we've been waiting for. You can't rely on government or the corporate world or the people down the street because if you want change, you have to be part of that process. And when the uh, World Wide Web became a reality in the uh, early 90s in the anarchist world this week, we jumped onto that chance and I'd like to thank Phil McCrory, who's now in New Zealand, who actually got us into the web in the early days. And uh, we felt things would change. But what we've noticed over the last 20 years is a distinct decrease in activism, a distinct decrease. It's becoming much more harder to organise events and activities and get people to come to those events and activities because many people think that if they press a button or become my friend or somebody else's friend or do a bit of research that somehow things will change. And things don't change without action. And the idea of the anarchist world this week is to activate people, not in a classical anarchist sense, but activate people to become involved in struggles which improve their lives and the lives of people around them. And the anarchist goal isn't just, you know, to have this land where we've got equal power and equal wealth, but the anarchist goal is that journey towards that land, towards that vision, towards that dream in our hearts. It's that journey. And that journey is made by people like you, by people listening to this program, who think there's more to life than consuming or worshipping some god. Much more to life. And many of the things we've been involved in have come to fruition. Because things like the Tanamina, many things have been initiated through this program. Many, many, many activities, and they continue to be initiated. The struggle to create a permanent monument in a capital city to the Frontier Wars. And after a 12-year struggle, which was initiated by the Anarchist Community Institute in 2004, last year we saw, we saw the finalisation of the Tanaminawai Mōbōhini Commemoration Monument at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street. A great victory. It took a long campaign. I stood personally as Lord Mayor of Melbourne on two separate occasions. Two, exactly, I know. It's, it is something to laugh about. On two separate occasions, there I was at the Chinese Business Association in uh, Little Burke Street, talking to the assembled crowds. But uh, that was a long struggle, and a lot of people joined us on that struggle. Then there was the struggle to reclaim the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations. Ellen and I went to 
Ballarat in 2001 to join in the Eureka celebrations. And to our horror, there was nothing on the day. Nothing. The Ballarat City Council, one of the most revisionist councils, reactionary revisionist councils on this planet, has refused to acknowledge the Eureka Rebellion. They use the symbols of the rebellion to promote their business interests and their corporate interests. But nothing is done, nothing is done to one of the men and women involved in that struggle. And if you are thinking of great struggles, there is nothing, in my opinion, in human history, and I'm, you know, take <laughs> in human history, which encapsulates that struggle for equality, which we have been involved in all our life, more than the sentiments which are expressed in the Eureka Oath. And I hopefully you take account of it, because I want to ask you to recite at the end of the program. And it says, we, this is the, this is the 30th of, no, 29th of November 1854, Bakery Hill, Ballarat, ragtag, army of radicals, armed to the teeth, turn up, you know, and they recite this oath. We, not Irish madmen, Anglo-Saxon barons, we, everyone, we. We swear by the Southern Cross, which many people think is a, a religious analogy. It's not. We swear by the Southern Cross. This was a camp city. These were refugees. This was a tenth city. They didn't have the internet or radio or television. So when they used to tell stories, go out of their tent to have a piss or do the number two, they'd look up in the sky and there was the Southern Cross, something which they never saw in the Northern Hemisphere. You only see the Southern Cross in the Southern Hemisphere. This was their symbol to them as a group of people that this was going to be a new world without the hierarchical divisions of the old world. They were going to create a new world. They looked at this. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other. The essence, the very essence of what anarchism is about. It's about solidarity, human solidarity. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. These were men and women who believed they were born with inalienable rights and liberties no one could take away. And if I'd like to do an analogy to the current uh, voluntary postal survey with, uh, regarding marriage equality, think about it. Here the government, because obviously they can't make a decision, is spending $120 million asking Australians if other Australians should have the same inalienable rights and liberties. It's extraordinary. Anarchism is about core principles which recognise that everybody has inalienable rights and liberties, irrespective of their colour, their race, 
their nationality, their sexual orientation, their gender. We are all born with these inalienable rights and liberties. It's not a government's job to say, you can have them today and not tomorrow, or this group should have them and this group shouldn't have them. And for us to be asked whether people we live amongst should have those same rights and liberties, to me, is extraordinary. Because in this country, the land of milk and honey, the land of the uh, eternal barbecue, you know, the shrimp on the barbie, we are one of the most... We're in a society which is, has the least protection for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. The extraordinary thing about Australians is I think of them as Roman Catholics. Because when I was a young lad, I was brought up as a Christmas Easter Catholic, right? We used to go on Christmas Day and Easter Day to church. Well, sometimes. And the beauty was that if you're a Catholic, you never read the Bible. You had a priestly class to interpret the Bible. And Latin was the language for so long, up to the mid-60s, till the uh, Reformation, in the mid-60s, the Catholic, what I call the Catholic Church Reformation, is because you didn't want people like you, ordinary Catholics, to know what was actually in the Bible. That's what led to the Reformation and the split. It's the same with Australians. Most Australians don't even know they've got a constitution. I can guarantee you today that 95% of Australians have never read the Constitution, which is a very small document. wouldn't be more than 15 pages, about 121 points. So what's the Constitution? The Constitution is the building blocks of this society. It is what the laws are based on. And the High Court is there to interpret the Constitution if there are difficulties in interpretation. And everybody says, we have freedom of speech in this society. We have freedom of association. We have protections from the arbitrary exercise of state power. We are free. Well, that's crap. There have been a number of High Court cases in the last hundred years which have demonstrated the limitations of the Australian Constitution. And it was interesting to look at when I was looking at the photographs and little articles around this Unitarian church, we were describing an activist who was a Unitarian who was against federation. Because there was a big struggle in the 1890s, before federation, whether the six states would become one country or not. And many people argued against federation because of the centralisation of power. So the Constitution is not a document which protects your rights as an individual. It's not a document that has human rights in it. They were specifically written out of the Australian Constitution because they looked at the French Constitution, the American Constitution, and they decided they didn't want the problem of having human rights in the Australian Constitution. The Australian Constitution is essentially a document which regulates the relationship between the central government, the federal government, and the states. So the High Court has made some extraordinary decisions over the last century. The first decision was 
that the White Australia policy is constitutionally correct. An apartheid policy, constitutionally correct. There is nothing in the Australian Constitution which would prevent a future government from passing legislation to reimpose that policy. The High Court found that under the Constitution, the federal government could detain a refugee indefinitely without charges being laid. Constitutional. Totally constitutional. The High Court found there was an implied right to freedom of speech in the Australian Constitution which only applied to the electoral period during a federal election because you couldn't have a federal election if you didn't have free speech during that period. There is no freedom of speech in the Australian Constitution. Legislation was passed a decade ago, or about 15 years ago, no, a decade ago, which gives the Attorney-General the power to ban any organisation he or she wishes if they think that organisation is a perceived threat to public interest. Constitutionally tick. When the Hells Angels, who everybody thinks is a criminal gang, and I'm sure they've got their own their criminal issues, as we all have. I assume everybody in this audience today is a criminal of some type or other. Or you wouldn't be here, would you? But uh, the Constitution doesn't guarantee you freedom of association. They spent over a million dollars finding that one out, the Hells Angels. So that was interesting. And it goes on and on. The Attorney-General now has the power to jail people for 25 years if they continue to belong to a banned organisation or if you give money to a banned organisation. So in Australia, we don't believe we have, we are born with inalienable rights. It's the government of the day which gives us these rights and takes away those rights. You could make a case, if you had a majority in both houses of parliament, to pass legislation to lock up every two-year-old who's got blue eyes because they are the devil's spawn, because there's no constitutional protection. So that makes it important for people like us as anarchists to highlight that we don't live in a free society. The only freedoms we enjoy are the freedoms we exercise. Another initiative of the Anarchist Media Institute, and I'd like to pass on my regards to Ruth Martin, who I just heard 24 hours ago is very sick. Uh, Ruth and I initiated the Wednesday Action Group, which continues to function. Every Wednesday, somewhere in this city, the Wednesday Action Group reclaims public space. And it's been an extraordinary struggle over the last 18 years. Extraordinary struggle, 19 years, extraordinary struggle. Because every time we try to reclaim a footpath, you get security guards, police. I remember one great moment, and uh, there's a bit of a retrobate called John Murray, which most of you may know of. And John's been around for a long, long time. And a few years ago, he jumped on a column at the old GPO 
and he was surrounded by 25 police because we were supposedly the Wednesday Action Group, you know, uh, on private property. And they were going to try to pull this 88-year-old off the column, you know, and arrest him. And I said to them, I looked at them and I said, you know, that if you pull him down, he has a heart attack, you're going to have to give him mouth to mouth <laughs> because I'm off duty. And they withered away. They were ashamed. <laughs> they left. Just on, uh, what was it, on Sunday, wasn't it? Sunday. Just on Sunday, this Sunday, little Joe and his partner, Alex and me, we were wandering up uh, a little street near the Wheeler Centre and we saw this van, police van, with about 15 police. There's this young thing about, ooh, about 46 kilos, because it was the only anti, you know, uh, racist demonstration, that an anti-fascist demonstration, right, who'd been arrested, had her arms locked up, and we had a choice. We could have walked away or we intervened. And you had all these riot squad goons with their little armour things, and so we just walked up to them and said, we said to the young woman, you got any trouble? You need any help? <laughs> What's your name? And so she started answering, and then they got all up, they got all upset. But the thing was, what we'd done is we'd confronted authority, we found her name, we knew who she was, we passed on her details to the legal team. And we did what I describe as a Peter Norman moment. Another initiative of the Anarchist Marine Institute since 2011, holding Peter Norman Day. And now we've, we've, fought, we've actually uh, been able to get the family involved. And this is a struggle Again, not about an individual, but an Australian who made a difference. We all know about the Bradbury moment, when the four skaters before him fell over and he got the gold medal, and people talk doing a, doing a Bradbury, but how many times do you hear about people doing a Norman or a Peter Norman? And Peter Norman was an accidental hero. He found himself in that situation when he won the silver medal. And he was asked, he was asked, do you believe in God? Do you believe in human rights? And he answered yes to both questions. And he said to Tommy Smith and John Carlos, the gold and the silver medalist, uh, bronze medalist, I will stand with you. He made a stand at that point in time for what he believed was right. A truly great Australian who paid a price for standing up for what was right. Not selected for the 72 Munich Olympics, not even invited to the 2000 Olympics in Sydney when the American Track and Field Association invited him as their personal guest because they understood that action, because it's the action of the Peter Normans of the world, people like you in this room listening to this broadcast, people who are listening to this broadcast across this country, on podcasts, on the World Wide Web, around the world, and we have hundreds of and thousands of listeners around the world, who make the difference, who stand up, who say, this isn't right. And if it isn't people like us, Nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is going to stand up. And we think 
we live in enlightened times. Think of the 101 Indonesian children who are incarcerated in our jails because they did x-rays of their wrists to determine their age. When we know that was discredited 60 years ago in the medical profession. Think of all the people who were detained in Nauru and Manus Island because they had the audacity to seek refuge in a land that constitutionally can detain them indefinitely for however they like. So we as anarchists, we as radical activists, we do make a difference. For example, in 2001, when Ellen and I said we went to Ballarat, we said, this is unacceptable. We'll organise the reclaim, the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations. And they have been going on since then, and they will go on again on the 3rd of December this year, and obviously you're all welcome to attend. And if there are three of us there, or 300 or 3,000, doesn't matter. What matters is that we recognise what those men and women did and the ultimate sacrifice they made for our freedoms. Not the soldiers in World War I. Think of the myths, how history is rewritten to suit the present as we enter a more militarised phase in world history, as we see our beloved President Groper carrying on about Rocket Man, and I thought to myself, well, that's nice, isn't it? He's finally picked up something that I've been saying on the radio for a long time. I mean, I call him President Groper because I like to highlight his uh, activities, you know, his, his, his activities, and now he's calling Kim Rocket Man. So I think it's a good, a good analogy that he's picked up a few points from me, so I feel proud about that. But, but, but seriously, think about the situation we find ourselves in, and it's people like us. So we did that. So, and then in 2005, I thought to myself, this is crap. I read the New Year's... On, sorry, I read the... Um, yeah, the New Year's Honours List, which is... Sorry, Australia Day Honours List, which is on Invasion Day. And then we've got the Queen's Birthday's Honours List. As a nation, we honour, in inverted commas, who we think are important people, who've done important things, and usually you've got to know the right people, you know, on Invasion Day and the Queen's Birthday. So we instituted the Eureka Australia Day Medal. And since 2005, and again, another Anarchist Media Institute initiative. Since 2005, every year we give out around six to seven of these medals to activists who have made a contribution and in many regards made great personal sacrifices. Great personal sacrifices to protect other people's liberties and to extend our liberties to create an egalitarian community to devolve power. People who will never be recognised by any official organisation. People who are denigrated, abused, marginalised, pushed aside because they have had the audacity to stand up and say we are heading in the wrong direction. And the list goes on and on. Another Anarchist Media Institute initiative is public interest before corporate interest, which was floated in April 2015. 
an idea which is a lot of people find very hard to grasp because we've been amazed how people don't even understand what the word public is. And we have been through a revolution in the last 40 years which have changed thinking in this country. And it's a revolution that has created a great deal of angst and inequality and actually seen a reverse in wealth going from the poor to the rich. And that's the deregulation... I know you're all waiting for me to say these four words because I always say them on every program. And that's the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution we have gone through. And people complain about buildings burning down. Uh, well, if you don't have regulations to keep the corporate sector in check, what do you expect? People complain about getting food poisoning or not being enough flu shots or, you know, no services in new communities which are being built or deregulation. What is deregulation? All deregulation is is removing the protections which our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents fought for, which have gone through Parliament to protect us as a community and as individuals. That's what deregulation is. Then look at privatisation. We all got this funny idea that things that are owned by the government are owned by the people. They're not owned by the people. They're owned by the government of the day. And over the last 35 years we have seen the wholesale selling off of essential infrastructure. And we are now paying the price, whether it's in the financial sector, whether it's in the energy sector, and the list goes on and on. Because you need to tame the capitalist beast. And it's all very well, people doing wonderful research and saying this and saying that, but unless you've got real competition in a capitalist society, and here I am telling capitalists how to run society, you don't actually benefit ordinary people. And in Australia, we have much more corporatisation where one or two or three companies dominates a particular field of human endeavour than even in the United States where they have antitrust laws which were put in by Roosevelt which forced large corporations to break up their holdings in order to ensure competition occurs. What we have, you know, is, is a little, you know, the Competition Commission, which isn't funded. Just extraordinary. Because if you want public assets to be the public's, what you need to do is you need to incorporate their ownership in the Australian Constitution because then the government of the day cannot sell those public assets. No public asset is incorporated in the Australian Constitution. And those of you, and again, you know, this is, this is where I go fl flights of fancy, so keep up with me. <laughs> those of you who are concerned about the postal, voluntary postal, postal survey about, regarding same-sex marriage, we had options. We could have had a plebiscite. 
which basically means it gives the government an indication, which is not voluntary. But we could have had a referendum on the question. And if, and if the majority of states and the majority of people in this country agreed to that proposition, same-sex marriage would then have been incorporated in the Australian Constitution. So there are mechanisms via which we can exercise power. And as I get older, I don't get angrier, I get smarter. We need to get smarter because we are dealing with a, a hydra. You cut off one head and then another head pops up somewhere else because capitalism is dynamic. And the best way, if you're not in a revolutionary situation, which we're not, the best way to hobble the beast is by creating a mixed economy. And that's an economy where both the state and the private sector compete in the same field of human endeavour. For example, when the Commonwealth Bank was owned by the government of the day, not the Australian people, the government of the day, you didn't have all these fees and charges because you had real competition. And another thing we've initiated is defend and extend public housing. Here we have a Labor government, a Labor government in this state, which is privatising the public health, public uh, housing sector out of existence. And so what happens, as we've seen, when you privatise energy production, you get the disaster we have now. We can't even produce enough energy in this country. So when you privatise things and you don't have public competition, fees go up, charges go up. I mean, these are simple concepts. And look, I'm not brilliant. Neither of you are brilliant. We're just ordinary people at the end of the day. But what we do is we think and we read and we think and we act. That's the difference. We don't belong to the Gunner tribe. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And we don't belong to the somebody should do something about that tribe which is the biggest tribe in Australia. Every time I go to a dinner or a barbecue or talk to people, they keep telling me, somebody should do something about that. And I say, how about you? And they say, what? 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 Me? So public interest before corporate interest. We set it up. We've got over 800 members, only about 340 on the electoral roll. But we've set it up and it is now getting a new spurt of... Uh, spurt of uh, energy. And its aims are very simple. And again, these are anarchist aims. We aim to ensure the interests of the Australian public are put before the interests of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their ma major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national cost. That tiny section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication have become so powerful they are instrumental in setting the parliamentary agenda and determining who governs us. It's time the public interests are put before corporate interests. And I said before, people say, what's the public? We've had this revolution over the past 40 years. The public is the many. It is the many. It's all of us. That is the public the interests of the many. Since the commons were closed to force people, agricultural workers, to become factory fodder in Britain, we've seen the same ideological um, disease 
contagious contagion spread across this country where the public has been legislated out of existence. The state is returning to its original function of maintaining control for those who exercise power in our community. During the 20th century, the state was forced to take the interests of the many before the interests of the few. And that led to a public health system, public education, public infrastructure, public assets which ensured that uh, essential services were run on behalf of people, not profits. That's what the lesson has been. We have lost the public. We no longer have public intellectuals who can stand up and say this is wrong because there is no tenure in most universities. Everybody is bound. We have private organisations running our prisons. We have private organisations running Manus Island and Nauru. We have private organisations which run large slabs of the public health sector in the state of Victoria and many other places. We have private organisations which run the social security system, I refuse to use the word welfare, where they're paid. We have private organisations you know, which run education facilities. We have a government and a system where private schools are given money. Churches are exempt from taxation. And the list goes on and on. We live in a society, the more wealth you have, the less tax you pay legally because you can avail yourself of taxation-friendly laws which reward investors but treat everybody else as idiots. We have a situation where wages are static. We have a situation where unions have been legislated out of existence. We have a situation where young people are now becoming the main revolutionary radical reformist force in this country. Not because they want to, but because they're at the pointy end of this deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution. Part-time work, hex debts, inability to get your house in the, a foot in the housing market, the death of the public housing sector, you know, and the list goes on and on. So people are being forced back into those radical traditions we saw in the 20s and 30s when people fought to enforce the state to look after their interests. And we are seeing glimmers of that in this country. It's people like you and me, the elderly. We're the ones that should be turned into soy and green and consumed. Because on every available indicator, it's those radicals we stood with shoulder to shoulder in the 60s and 70s when we were ready to change the world, who are now acting as a stumbling block, who are interested in their superannuation, who have been totally, totally compromised by a system which has slowly turned them into micro-investors. Not just in terms of a second home or a third home, but in terms of their superannuation. I remember when I was... Uh, campaigning in Dunkley at the last federal election where once again I threw my hat in the electoral ring this bloke who I thought was a great radical he said Joe I don't like that policy and I said why 
And he said, well, I think it could affect my superannuation. I said, mate, look, you could lose your superannuation tomorrow because it's invested in the capitalist stock market anyway. So what's your, what's your beef? This was a 1% turnover tax on, on shares. He was concerned it was going to affect his superannuation. So we've got this thinking. We've got this thinking. And John Howard was right. And Conservatives are right. They have changed the Australian thinking. They have changed it. We have become a nation of investors. Whether we can do it on the big you know, screen or whether we do it through our superannuation fund, we are more concerned about generating wealth by exploiting other people's labour more than actually doing something. So it's extraordinary. So membership. Membership. And this is the other beautiful thing I love about periods like this. Because, see, the word revolution comes from the word revolve. Things go around 360 degrees. And, you see, and that's why I love history. Because you see the same cog revolving round and round and round. And in this period of time when things get a bit tight, we got the strong leader. I was at a dinner party ooh, last Sunday. I was given a book about Mussolini because I was told what a wonderful man Mussolini was. <laughs> right? I just shut my mouth, obviously. <laughs> what a wonderful man. But it is now the period of the strong leader, the gropers of the world, the kims of the world. It's the strong leader who is going to save us from ourselves. And I'll use a biblical analogy, save us from our original sin, something which the Unitarian Church, I understand, doesn't subscribe to. So save us from ourselves. It's just extraordinary. So membership. So here we are. We fight amongst each other. You know, we love it. Oh, she's a lesbian. Oh, he's a refugee. Oh, he doesn't speak English. Oh, ugh, he's, ugh, I don't like him. He smells, you know. Here we are. 21st century, 17th year into the 21st century, the you know, Judeo-Georgian calendar, and we fight amongst ourselves. And the thing about public interest before corporate interests, it's about membership is open to people of all religious beliefs and those who have no religious beliefs. We welcome people of all races, nationalities, genders and sexual orientation. We believe all human beings are born with valuable rights and liberties. No government can legislate away or corporations take away. So I'm just going to tell you a few things that are happening in the next last few minutes. And unfortunately, they're all happening in Victoria, but it doesn't mean they can't happen interstate. We need the gunners interstate to actually start doing things. Next Thursday, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest has organised a forum with the Australian Unemployed Workers Union at the Frankston Library at 12.30 to look at that issue and also look at the issue of how the way people are demonised, the 33% of Australians who rely on social security benefits to, to survive. On um, Sunday the 15th of October at the, at the Hannah Watts Reserve in Melbourne will be another Pipsy uh, picnic. We're using the picnic process to try to form uh, new groups. On the 29th of October, between 11am and 3.30pm, at Yalambi South, which is near Maui and Taralgon, there'll be another Pipsy picnic, trying to form a, uh, a group up there. Over the last two weeks, the, the southern peninsula Pipsy branch has been established 
and it will have more details about when they meet. And obviously the Frankston uh, Hastings branch, which organised the Australian Unemployed Workers Union meeting at the Frankston Library, is alive and functioning. So what we are saying is now is the time that we need to seize the moment. We need to blow away those elements in society who are using the inequalities and the dislocation which is occurring, that has occurred, we need to be able to confront them. Not just on the streets, you know, in a, a ritualised confrontation every six to eight weeks, but more importantly, we need to confront them in the suburbs and in the country. And we need to form an organisation which is based, not necessarily anarchist, based on anarchist principles, based on delegation, not representation, based on cre uh, uh, looking after the many, not the few, based on direct action. And we can do it. We can do these things. Each and every one of us has that capacity. For example, on the 1st of October at 11am, I'll be at Chummy Place in Carlton. I'm doing a tour of early anarchist sites in Melbourne. 13, and then lunch. Things like this, where these men and women that we acknowledge as our precedents have the same dreams and aspirations and we need to bring them back to the fore. We need to breathe life into them because nothing's changed. We've got mobile phones, we've got the internet, we've got the World Wide Web. I can take pickies of my grandchild every two minutes and say, wow, which most elderly people do, which I don't. You know, but the thing is, it doesn't change the social relationships in society. It hasn't changed the questions of power. Technology doesn't change that. We change that by changing things. So thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. You can love me and like me on my Facebook page, <laughs> Toscano for the Public. Uh, I really find it funny when people say to me, I'm your friend, and I say, I don't know you. I'm sorry. Evil minds that plot destruction. Death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.